Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO. It's a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 270, and it's proudly brought to you by the always-growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support, and if you're listening and would like to consider supporting the show, please visit thegreynado.com for more details. My name is, of course, James Stacy, and I'm joined, as ever, by my friend and co-host, Jason Heaton. Jason, how are we doing today? Doing pretty well. And boy, as you read 270, I was thinking uh, before the year's out, we will be uh, we'll be over 300 episodes. Pretty it's, wild. Uh, yet another milestone. Yep. Yeah, pretty crazy. Well, on this end, we're um, it's it's been again. It's the 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 winter that never arrived uh, here. It's uh, pushing man 50 Fahrenheit tomorrow, which is you know like 12 or I don't know something centigrade. Sort of green grass, and uh, the sun was out yesterday. It's 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 a very strange. Uh, winter and it and it was kind of a, an interesting tie-in with with our discussion with our guest uh, Will Gad today, which we'll get to in a bit. But um, there certainly um, was no doubt that that this is a, an anomalous year. Um, and while it's been a bit of a, a boon for my my training, uh, I was actually on my bike a couple of days ago, and I will be later this week again. On the downside, you know, the the ice diving festival is supposed to happen in a month, and I just don't see how they're going to be able to pull that off. Uh, the the lakes just barely froze in time for this pond hockey tournament that they have down the street at the lake near my house and then they they had to pull the plug on the second week of it because uh because it got warm again so not great i haven't been on my skis this winter but uh yeah i'm i'm, I'm doing my best to enjoy what, what has turned out to be a really strange winter here how about you have you had you've had similar there or you, you've had a bit more snow than us maybe uh, yeah i mean we we've had some snow not not really the extent to which i thought we would get you know, just compared to other years recently. Yeah. February is the tough one in Ontario. Uh, typically, that's when we get the most and the coldest. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see if it's yeah. a weird February or if it's one like last year where it's actually kind of sunny but cold and t- a ton of snow. We'll just see. And did you get a chance to see some sun yesterday? You were down in uh, down in Florida, right? I was, yeah. So Sunday, for a, <laughs> for yeah, a few hours. I was there for about 16 hours in uh, in Jacksonville to film a talking watches I don't think I'm supposed to say definitely not who because that's a surprise he's rad um, it, it went really well I'm very much looking forward to seeing the tape um, it was a, a very easy and fun process uh, with a cool automotive uh, tie-in um, but yeah, I was in Jacksonville I left Sunday afternoon and I got back uh, yesterday evening so I was there for you can't fly direct, so through Houston on the way there, um, and then through Chicago on the way home. Both flights ended up being kind of delayed and, and a bit late and that kind of thing. So I, I got to the hotel in Jacksonville very late, or very early morning, uh, went to bed as quickly as I could, and then got up to go shoot this thing, and then left from there for the airport. So it was a quick one. Uh, I'm home for, you know, today, and then tomorrow I go to New York City for uh, a preview for... Uh, some Oris novelties that are coming up. Nice. Uh, so I'll get to see the rest of the Hoodinky team to do that. You know, the, the thing that stood out for this trip is, uh, I, th- I think people who listen to every episode will remember uh, for the Christmas gift you got me this year was that Dyneema Bullet Ruck, uh, Go Ruck. Yeah. So it's a 15-liter small bag, all Dyneema. And I took it to Costa Rica and just really loved it. It's the right size for sort of everyday sort of bag it's it's quite small it's actually doesn't the it's small enough that the laptop sleeve mm-hmm. doesn't even fit a 16 inch macbook you'd need something smaller so it's a nice <laughs> ipad yeah. solution that sort of thing it's probably not even made for a laptop it's probably made for a plate or a bladder or something like that mm-hmm. but after the experience in in costa rica 
I knew I really wanted to make this like the the only bag that I think about. I have a lot of bags, but this is kind of a definitely a buy once, cry once. Thank you very much for the gift, of course, <laughs> solution to an everyday bag. So when I went to Florida, I knew that I wanted to take uh, this bag and, you know, one change of clothes. I didn't have to bring extra shoes. In this scenario, I didn't even need to bring a camera. So really light packing for me. Yeah. And... I added a couple, I made a couple tweaks to the bag that we'll talk about in final notes because one of them is an inexpensive product that I'm super happy with. But I added um, a, a couple things to the bag just to make it a little bit more tuned for travel versus just walking around a city or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, it was so freeing to travel with not only just a bag, I occasionally do just a bag, but to be able to travel with such a small bag. Yeah. was incredible on and off of flights no sweat not worried about this or that you know one charger one USB-C cable it kept it really light and easy and and I think I'm going to attempt I have it's three days in New York but really it's one day because like whatever I go down in tomorrow I can wear for the whole day so it's one full change of clothing and then I'm flying home on Friday. Yeah. So I I do need a camera so we're going to see how much I can really get in this bag because if I can do the New York trip with just a backpack. I think that's a, a real win uh, for me. And uh, that's been that's been really good. Uh, it's just so, so nice to have some light travel. And then, uh, you know, last week I, I had a chance to hang out with Josh Perez, who we had on the show quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And he's doing some work with a clothing brand. Um, he's doing like some consulting and sort of marketing work with a clothing brand called Foreign Rider. Huh. I don't know if you're aware of this brand. No. Um, I, I wasn't until Josh kind of explained, like introduced me to the brand some time ago. Yeah. We had some lunch and then we went down to Foreign Riders kind of boutique or shop um, in the Queen West area of, uh, of Toronto. And uh, Josh hooked me up with, uh, with a couple different pieces of clothing, uh, including a, a really fantastic hoodie. If you're on the Slack, you'll know I was asking about hoodies. So the timing came out nicely. It's a very light, very soft, very comfortable hoodie. And I'll put the links to this, especially the pants, which I'll, I'll put in the show notes. I'm, I'm super impressed with. Really light, really comfortable, a little stretchy, wears like jeans. Uh, not crazy expensive, like not the price point of, uh, of an outlier, for example. Yeah. Uh, kind of a, a level down from that. So I'm, I'm testing a little bit of their stuff. Uh, you know, they didn't ask me to talk about it or that kind of thing. It was just, you know, uh, Josh made the hookup while we were at the store. And, and uh, you know, I didn't pay for the clothing, to be fair. Uh, but yeah, kind of running that through its paces. I got a nice wax jacket and and uh, a few other pieces like that. So uh, that's been nice. And, and for travel, man, a light pair of pants when you're going from winter here down to, you know, it actually wasn't very warm in Florida, to be fair. It was nice and sunny, which I liked. I actually walked from the hotel to where we did the shoot. Yeah. Um, but it was like 10 Celsius when I got up. Oh, okay. So really not, yeah. not, not that warm at all, but a, a beautiful day. Um, and it was definitely nice to feel the sun on my, uh, directly on my skin rather than, you know, filtered through the kind of snowy clouds that we've had in Toronto. Here. Yeah, that, yeah. That's been my last couple of days. And then I get back Friday and then next Wednesday I go to Aspen for ice race. So it's, it's pretty busy for the first half of February, you know, three, three trips to different parts and, uh, and lots of work to, to keep up on and that sort of thing. Yeah, and it makes for makes for interesting chit chat here on the show. I've been largely homebound here for the past uh, past couple of months, um, and I think for the foreseeable future until uh, April. I was yeah. pleased to see that I got invited to uh, Watches and Wonders Geneva, which it's been a while since I've been over there. In fact, I've never been to a, a Watches and Wonders. I, I, last time I was in Geneva was for 
the days of SIHH uh, pre-pandemic. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to, to seeing you and, and catching up with with old chums from the from the industry and seeing some of the, the watches. I'm excited to see what what Braemont's got in store. I've been, you know, <laughs> they've been kind of hyped up a lot all over the place, uh, talking about kind of the, the reboot of the brand and of course our friends at Tudor, et cetera. So that's uh, the next thing on my calendar in terms of uh, in terms of travel. But uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, I currently have 18 emails in my inbox for booking more meetings, oh, so that geez. should be uh, fun fun to get to right after this call. But yeah. I'm pumped to see you in Geneva. It's been years of going there, uh, you know, with you having, I guess it would have been 18, eight, nine, 18 or 19 would have been the last year that you went. I don't remember when they officially became Watches and Wonders. Yeah, I think it was 2018 because I don't think I went in 2019, but uh, I was looking yeah. through my phone kind of cleaning it up because I was running out of space and I was looking through some old photos and <laughs> uh, found that one that was taken of us at um, Panda, uh, Banda Paki, the, the fondue place. Oh, uh, yeah. there, you and I were leaning over a table. It was looking young and fresh and uh you know it was uh, that late night it was kind of icy on the on the pier there and, super icy yeah um yeah good good times that was a that was a good memory and and fortunately this time around it's in april uh, rather than january which is always so dark and cold in geneva so it'll be kind of fun together yep. in the spring yeah i think it's smart for them to continually push the show into proper spring it just makes the city a lot more welcoming yeah um to get around because it is a walkable city like if you want to go from wherever their hotel is, the Envy, the Wilson, whatever, over to uh, Beau Rivage to see Doxa, like, mm -hmm. you could take a car. Yeah. Absolutely. And if it's in January, I'd probably recommend it. Yeah. Because the water, the wind that comes off Lake Geneva is <laughs> icy. Yeah. Real cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, last year we were able to walk around and see a bunch of brands in the afternoon. Like, you know, you usually end up with a day or so where you don't go to the fair proper to mm -hmm. Pal Expo. Yeah. And that's when I saw Kenneth from Arkin and I saw Zinn at um, the time to watch. So there's lots of stuff to do around the city and it's so much nicer to, you know, I remember last year I did Zinn and then I was going to Jorn and that's quite a distance. So you have to take a car, mm -hmm. but you know, waiting for teammates, you don't want to wait inside Jorn <laughs> showroom, just standing there dripping snow on their yeah. beautiful floor or whatever, as, as people are trying to eat their lunch. So it, it is nice to be able to do it where I don't have to probably bring a giant winter coat it changes a little bit of the the need for a warmer layer and that sort of thing which is is pretty nice yeah and it just makes it a little bit easier to get around and 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 that sort of thing so yeah i, I think it'll be good it'll be really fun to see you uh in the city for that uh which will be fun you know it's it's probably like peak stress for me mm -hmm. for the year yeah is yeah. making sure that everything kind of comes together yeah um especially those first two or three days of the show right um, but yeah so it, it'll be fun fun to connect there i haven't seen um all of the details come in from the FHH yet, but uh, maybe we'll even be lucky and be at the same hotel and we can have breakfast together most days. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Without further ado, we should probably uh, move into our main topic because we had a good long chat with uh, with Will Gad. Um, but before we get to it, let's do a quick uh, quick wrist check. I think we both kind of came proper for for today's episode. Yeah, so we got connected with Will Gad, who obviously has been on our radar. And if you're into the the extreme sports world, certainly in ice climbing or, or mixed climbing, you would know Will's name. This is one I'm pretty excited about. The chat with Will went really well. We just finished it before we recorded this part of the show. Uh, he was an absolute treat. I could definitely see having him on several more times. We had plenty to talk about. But the the underlying sort of connection here is through Citizen. Yeah. You know, obviously, we have a great relationship with Citizen. They help us throw a, a pretty fun sort of hangout every year at uh, Wind Up. We had a great one this past year in Chicago. And uh, part of that, they said, hey, you know, we're doing this thing with the new Altacron and we're connecting with Will Gadd and these these sort of projects um, about, uh, 
you know, the loss of glaciers and this uh, whole kind of program called Save the Beyond. And we said, yeah, absolutely. We, we would love to do that. But uh, obviously, when it comes to a risk check, and it's not that hard to guess what Jason and I grabbed from Citizen, <laughs> um, as, as cool as the new uh, Altacron is, I went with um, my uh, Loom Dial Aqualand, the 2007 17W, uh, which is, you know, a stalwart for the show. And, and Jason, I assume you went with the same. I did, yeah, yeah. Um, seemed seemed appropriate for today. I I have this, and then I've got my vintage Aqualand, which is actually down in Milwaukee on the wrist of a good friend of mine whose whose uh, old Aqualand broke. So I've been lending him mine. But uh, yeah, this seemed like the the right watch, and and Will was certainly wearing his uh, his Citizen as well. So yeah, it was a good chat. I think uh, I think we should probably jump right into it with uh, Will Gad. And rather than do a full on introduction here, uh, Will did a pretty good one himself. So let's get started. All right, it's an absolute pleasure to introduce to the show a uh, legend of the climbing and ice climbing scene and even a few other things, just in case he was bored at some point, it seems, in his career. But uh, Will Gadd, it's, it's an absolute treat to have you on. Thanks so much for making time for a call. Thanks, James and Jason. I'm happy to be here. And uh, yeah, I also want to learn more about your world. You've done some interesting things as well. So I have questions <laughs> for you. <laughs> All right. Well, that, 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 that'll be a first uh, kind of two-way interview then. That'll be fun. But uh you know, we, we were fortunate enough to get uh, connected to you through Citizen. You're operating as a, an ambassador for the kind of Altacron program, and we definitely want to get into that and the watch angle and the rest of it. But, you know, on the off chance that there's a handful of folks in the uh, in the audience who aren't, you know, big ice climbing acolytes or, uh, or you know, paying close attention to the roster of the Red Bull athlete, um, why don't you give people a small background on um, on kind of where you got your start and what you've spent the last few years kind of focusing on? Oh man, life biography in, in that in short period of time here. But um, we'll just we'll just just kick it off. We'll get we'll do. I can dig in deeper as we go. <laughs> I, I've sort of I've made a career out of outdoor and adventure sports of one kind or another. Um, first as a as a writer for magazines, and then as a publisher of magazines, um, and then moving into the pro athlete side of things. So for the last literally forty years, I've been doing high level outdoor adventure sports of one kind or another from paragliding to kayaking to mountain biking to skiing and of course ice climbing and all the other stuff I do and yeah it's been a it's been a, a weird and interesting career I don't think you know my school guidance counselor didn't have professor professional icicle climber on the list of <laughs> occupations right like that didn't really that didn't make the list and then um yeah it, it but it's worked out very well and and there's ups and downs to it if you choose when I was 29, I left my sort of normal job in in the publishing and qualitative market research world to be a pro athlete and follow this dream of spending a lot of days outside and in cool places and and doing interesting things. And everybody told me I was sorry. How how old did you say you were? I was 29. Oh, okay, all right. Bit of a late start for, by some people's standards, I would say, right? It was interesting because when I was earlier, when when I was younger, I I was a professional sport climber, and in that era, that meant you got free shoes. You know, you can't eat shoes. So I had another job and, and I sort of thought you couldn't, there was no way to make a living as a, as a pro sports adventure guy, right? Like that didn't, that market right. didn't really exist back then. And, and so I was, you know, I, I had a job writing and publishing and then doing qualitative market research and so on, kind of on the side while pursuing these sports nearly full time, um, you know, outside of that job. But when I was 29, I did what everybody said was idiotic and, and quit a really great job to go and do these sports. And, and everybody's like, that'll never work. You'll be back in six months, but it's 20, 
25 years later, 25 plus years later, and I'm still doing it. And, and yeah, I'm enjoying enjoying life in different ways. Did that background that you had in, in publishing and writing help as you moved into, obviously, it's it's like a, an entirely different mode, but you probably still had to interface with people who were operating in a similar world to th- that which you left. Yeah. And I also knew how to put a value on what I did. And that's a really hard thing in life. Like, how do you value what you do, whether you're, whatever occupation you're in? And before working in the publishing and, you know, now we just call, call that content creation, right? That's, how, that's yeah, what we course. do. We create content, <laughs> man. So um, the, <laughs> at that point, nobody knew how to value that. And having then worked in, in publishing and, you know, gone through a lot of media kits, I could say, hey, look, whether it was Red Bull or, or one of my other partners, I could say, hey, look, here's the, here's the you know, a spread in Sports Illustrated and here's how much it's worth. And I would like a slice of that, please. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And those basic skills in life, being able to write and talk and, and communicate, those, those are really critical. So I, I don't regret any of the time I spent in that world. And I made some great contacts and friends that I'm, I'm still close with. So yeah, I've got this sort of theory that no effort in life is ever wasted. If you're giving honest effort, then it's not wasted. It comes around in different ways. And I'm sure, you know, again, questions for you guys, but you've also had eh, changes in your career that didn't seem obvious at the time. <laughs> and yet here we are. <laughs> The, the other thing that that pops up, and we've definitely had uh, the topic kind of come up in both the show and then we have a, a Slack that, that is kind of like a private chat platform that, that uh, a handful of folks that support the show kind of talk over various things. And I, I'm curious, and I'm sure there's rules of what you can and can't say and that sort of thing, and, and I definitely want to get into the citizen side of it, but I'm, I'm eternally curious about Red Bull athletes. It's such a... Um, like cult is the wrong word because I think it, like what Red Bull has managed to do for a lot of sports is super positive. And, but the profile of the brand is on like a nonstop, basically a straight line straight up, you know, especially if you look at the success of stuff like, um, you know, what they're doing with, with formula one and that kind of thing. What, what's that experience like getting, getting kind of uh, brought into that fold or, or how long have you been uh, associated with Red Bull? Oh, that's a, that's a, there's a lot in all those questions and people are always curious about Red Bull because it is such an uh, interesting yeah. and different company. And I first got on with Red Bull because I was, I was bringing Red Bull back from Europe. I was competing in events in Europe and this is a little over 25 years ago, but I'm, I was competing in these events in Europe and I would, I would fly over there from North America, get off the plane and have to compete, you know, sometimes literally hours later and, and often jet lag. <laughs> you guys know the drill, right? You, you get off it's really not your favorite moment in, in travel life when you get off that plane and you got to go to work. And I found these little silver and blue cans that worked really well. <laughs> and so I started bringing them back to North America and, and using them on the flip side when I would fly back and for, for training. And somehow Red Bull North America heard about this and they're like, hey, would you like some free cans? And I thought this was a great idea. Yeah, you know, I'm already buying this stuff. So, um, I will, I will. Yeah, that's how I got involved with them initially. And I, I honestly thought their business model was going to be a flop. You can't just give people helmets and and tell them to do, you know, support cool ideas. This is not a business model. It turned out that I was very wrong about that. It was a fantastic business model, and it's kind of like getting inducted into a, a weird fraternity or sorority or something where they have a lot of money yeah. to support cool ideas. And, and that's what they do. They, they support people who um, want to do cool things. And they've made a business around that. And, you know, the, the guy who started the company, the, the kind of Western version of it, 
I, I really think he did it more to have fun than anything else. <laughs> like it's let's support people <laughs> and do cool things. Cause he certainly could have, if he were just straight, a straight mercenary sort of certainly could have made more money perhaps. But in the end, this combination of people and, and adventure and places, whether it's F1 or, or the icicle climber, uh, you know, I'm yeah. sure my budget is like one tire per year or something, but it's, I, I, <laughs> it's been a great ride. It's like having a really rich uncle that wants to support the coolest thing you can think of doing. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> and I think a lot of people find the, the whole combination of like the, well, it's a drinks company, sure, but it's also like a now prolific supporter of sport and a, and a media house behind it. And I've, I've, I'm eternally kind of curious about how it works and, and that sort of thing. So I, I appreciate the uh, the look inside. And it's also, uh, you know, they seem to have almost exclusively very long-standing relationships. It doesn't seem like something where they pick someone up for a year or two if the athlete in question seems to stay in the sport or continue to evolve. It seems like they, they've got a track to, to kind of be part of that arc, which uh, I think is kind of interesting because like a lot of brand partnerships can come and go throughout, uh, you know, the career of, uh, of, a an athlete or otherwise. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And as, and in the words you use there evolve, you know, that, that's a really important idea as an athlete. And, and that's what Red Bull does. A lot of people think Red Bull or, or the, the other partners and all my partners are, are very long-term. I've been with most of them for at least 20 and often, often more years they don't ask me to do things like I come up every year and I'm like, Hey, these are the things that I would like to do. And and then they, you know, get on board or don't get on board or, um, but it's, it's all athlete driven. So they sort of people look at often pro adventure sports athletes and they're like, Oh, your sponsors must be asking you to do this. It's like, no, 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 this is us. Like what we're going to do on the weekend is do our sports, whether we're getting paid for it or not. It's just, we're very lucky to have strong partnerships and yeah, Red Bull's been great that way. It's a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not young anymore. And I'm like, isn't that like a skateboarder or something? But um, <laughs> they've just been a great company to work with. And I, and as with all my partners and, you know, newer ones, like the newest one is Citizen. But um, I expect that to be a long-term relationship as well. It's it's about the values and how they look at the world. So I'm, I feel very yeah, lucky. Yeah. Well, we'll chat a bit about Citizen in, in a little while, but your, your mention of, of Red Bull being like a rich uncle, I'm curious about your own, Kind of background with with family, for instance. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure where you're from. I'm guessing from somewhere in Canada, maybe the west coast of Canada. But but did did you grow up kind of with a family that went out and did not necessarily extreme sports, but adventurous things? Or how did you how did you get into the stuff you're doing? Because you, you have quite a wide range of of interests. <laughs> That's a polite way of saying that it's a sort of you know um, ADD style approach to sports here and <laughs> 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 life. To- yeah, right. We take the same approach towards media and content, so it's all good. <laughs> well, I was check. I actually subscribed to your to your podcast. or went on there and, and checked out the uh, the different show notes and things. So you have a really good platform here. I've got questions about that as well. You've you've done a really good job with that. You you guys are tight. Um, oh, thanks. But I mean, I grew up in the Canadian Rockies, and so that's Banff, Camor, Lake Louise, and some of my earliest memories are like being in a tent with my mom and a bear showing up and my mom scaring this bear off and, you know, being out in the mountains. Um, and I thought all kids lived this life. I thought it was totally normal that you went out there and had like, I wouldn't say death defying, but certainly high adventure weekends in the mountains. And I just took that for granted. And as I got older, I played all the high school sports that are available in Canada. You know, I love team sports as well. So I, I played basketball and volleyball and 
I went to a small school, so it was a lot easier to make those teams. Um, but I, I was always um, on the weekends going skiing and, and I didn't really get into like the adventure sports on my own until I was in high school. So 16, 17, I started to get into climbing pretty seriously and then kayaking. And I've always taken a seasonal approach to my sports. It's like spring's kayaking season, summer's rock climbing season and, and paragliding. And then fall is is more the alpine stuff. And then winter, you you go skiing or ice climbing and then just repeat. So that's, and I was lucky enough to live in a small town where I could do that. And I, I was also persistent, which was a, a tactic that's worked well for me in life. You know, I would get home from school every day. And if it were kayaking season, I had a list of names on the wall um, of people in my town that would kayak. And I'd just start at the top and I'd be like, hey, you know, Joe, can you take me kayaking today? No. You know, and I just go through the list and I had about 15 names on it. And if I got to the bottom and I didn't have somebody that would take me kayaking, I'd just start at the top. And then eventually somebody would break. They'd be like, somebody take the kid kayaking because he's not going to stop calling. <laughs> but, uh, um, and, you know, then I did things, everything from babysit to wash dishes to whatever it took to, you know, I don't come from a wealthy family. So I had to really come up with creative ways to get the money to do these sports and yeah, one thing led to another and I just, I never, I, you know, these sports are intensely interesting, whether it's diving, you guys both dive, I think. I'm a overly certified and, and very interested diver, but that's another topic. I got questions about that for you guys too, actually. But anyhow, you know, whether it's diving or whatever, it's just interesting to be in that environment. And I, I, I found these to be a lifelong you know, pursuit just to gain competency and understanding of how these environments work. And, and they relate a lot of the way I think on a dive is very similar to the way I think when I'm flying my paraglider or climbing an icicle, that same, what's important here? What do I need to monitor? What's going on? And, and then seeing ahead, using your mind to see ahead. You know, it's sort of this sort of like, you know, time machine that you could use to look where you're going. And so you develop those skills. And I think that's one reason I've had some of the success I've had is that constant development of that higher hazard environment thinking. I think this raises an interesting point to me. And you mentioned your background in, in school, playing all these different team sports. And it, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, that was kind of my journey as well. I played football and basketball in high school. And then like late high school and then beyond, I kind of discovered what I guess you'd call more individual sports, um, running, cross-country skiing, cycling, diving, of course, things like this. And it sounds like you followed the same path. And then as you were talking about the parallels between say diving and paragliding or something like this or, or ice climbing. Um, there's a certain introspective meditative in the moment mindfulness to those sports. And I'm just wondering that transition. I know that I went through from team sports to more individual sports kind of paralleled, I guess my own, I'm largely an introverted person. I'm not sure about you, but do you have any insights in terms of like what are you kind of similar in that way, like moving from team sports to these kind of more mindful individual sports? Yeah, so much in, in, in these in these individual sports and that meditative state, that flow state, that's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that excitement too, yeah. for me, like I really like waking up on, you know, at my age, mid fifties now, I wake up on a Saturday morning and I feel like I'm eight again and I've got the whole day to go and do the coolest possible thing in life, right? Like having yeah. that excitement and, and expectation and joy of engagement with the day is like, that's really important. Um, yeah. And then that meditative state when you're out there and you're just doing something and you can 
genuinely pick something up in your mind and examine it and look at it and think, is this a good idea? And and then then you fall down on your skis and you're like, God, pay attention here, man. <laughs> but, but, it's a, yeah. but I do really love that. I, I also learned a lot playing team sports about how to interact with people. Like on a sports team, you don't get to choose who you're on that team with. You, you have to learn yeah. how to operate with sometimes people that you wouldn't really hang out with normally, but you get a common goal and you're going mm-hmm. someplace cool. And, uh, you know, whether, whether it's to a game or you're on the floor with somebody, it's, I love that too, like figuring out how to work with people and what makes them tick and, and how you can work together to do cool things. So it's a, yeah. I mean, there's just so many interesting things in life to do, I think is the problem. Yeah. And you know, I, I've always associated you with, with ice climbing. I mean, I, I always, I always, I, I can visualize so many photos of you, you know, hanging from two ice axes with a helmet on your, on your head, you know, and I think what, I mean, that is a, that's a niche sport kind of within a niche sport, you know, I mean, it's, um, and, and what led you to that was purely the kind of availability of, of, you know, frozen, frozen walls or. Well, growing up in the Canadian Rockies, winter is long. It's you're, you're yeah. dealing with winter, with winter for about seven months. And so you'd better do something. And I did a lot of skating, played some hockey and yeah, did a lot of skiing, but that ice climbing thing, it, to me, it's just so unlikely. It's a bit like diving. Actually, you get under the water. And, and I still remember my first dives because I was like, this actually works. Like you can actually breathe underwater. <laughs> oh, I, I know the exact thing you're saying. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> that first breath is a scary one. <laughs> yeah. And you suck it down and you're like, wow, this works. And you, you get to look around at this world and it's so cool. And ice yeah. climbing is, you know, every time I go ice climbing, I'm like, wow, this works. You know, like I've done it a lot now, but it's not that same reaction. I'm looking at other things, but it's like. I can climb a vertical sheet of ice for real. Like it's, it's a form of magic. And, and I, yeah. I just loved that. And it's so unlikely and it's so beautiful. You have this often blue icicles and this strip of blue shooting up into the sky. And it's like Jack and the Beanstalk. You get to climb the thing, you know? And, and uh, I, 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 love, I love that shift in perception where you're like, wow, this, this works and I can be in this environment that at first seems completely alien, but this is how it works. And, you know, same thing with the sky, like you're riding a boiling atmosphere on a bed sheet and, and <laughs> like this works really. And, and, and that's just sense of magic and awe of, of what we get to do and where we get to be in life, I think runs through all these sports for me. But yeah. And, and with ice climbing, it's, it's a new climb every time, right? I mean, it, it, you can't like with rock climbing, like I'm guessing and, and, you know, being a uninformed climber, I guess I think like if, if you were to climb, uh, you know, uh, El Capitan or something in Yosemite, the, the guys that were climbing in the sixties might have been able to lend some advice to those climbing now. Like the, the wall probably hasn't changed that much, but with ice climbing every season, it's a new experience, right? Because water it's, it's, it's frozen water that goes away and comes back in different ways. Right. So it's a new climb every time. Yeah. I think you're going to have to try this sport. I think you've got a natural affinity for it. So, <laughs> why don't you guys come, come out here to Catamore and I'll, I'll, I'll seriously take you ice climbing and, and uh, you could tell me about watches. Cause I got questions about that world as well, but yeah, uh, right. Um, right. I, I want to, I, <laughs> I would love trade, to take right? you ice climbing. You're, you're thinking about it in, in a way that's interesting and in that, yeah, cause it, ice climbs fall down every year, every year it's a new yeah. climb, even week to week and sometimes day to day they're different. Yeah. And I guess that's true of a lot of these sports, you know, it's no, even if you go and dive the same spot, it's different. The light's different. The, you know, the the current's different. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of sediment in the water is different. Who you're with is different, but yeah, ice climbing 
the whole thing just falls down. Usually when I show up to an ocean, it's still there. But ice <laughs> climbing is not a guaranteed <laughs> thing. So you're trying to figure that one out. And rock climbs, yeah, they're a lot more static. But that, again, that just makes yeah. it more interesting. Like, how do, you, how do you operate in these environments? And how do you work with people in these environments to, to make them reasonably safe? They're not safe, but better, you, know, you kind of pick your point on the line of where you want to be. And, and um, I have kids too, so that's changed my risk assessment. And thinking about these sports as well, for sure. Yeah. And that was actually, that was a question I wanted to bring up was, um, how has your relationship with risk changed since, you know, you were 29 and, and kind of started doing this full time, um, to now, uh, in terms of kind of gauging what, what you take on, um, does that, does that factor in? Do you, do you, are you a little more cautious or, or tentative nowadays? I'm guessing not. Wiser might be the better word. Uh, I mean, how we look at risk, we're all running kind of risk management software all the time. Is this acceptable even with your drive when you're driving along, right? It's pretty, you do that every day often, but you know, am, am I thinking about the right things? I'm, you know, am I looking ahead and, and we just try to develop that software. And when I was younger, my idea of risk management was like, you go first. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> will work out great. <laughs> and then I, you know, I had some bad, out, bad outcomes with that. And and I've had to develop over my whole life this my own risk management software. And I, I try to share this with people through my writing and 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 talks and things like that. And and I love it. And and just sharing that sharing that kind of look at how people manage the hazards in their own lives, whatever they are. So when I had kids few things happen. First of all, my tolerance for risk has been surprisingly low. I actually, I, I have a lot of anxiety and fear. People often look at what I do and like, that guy's fearless and, you know, he just doesn't think about it. But at 56 years old now, I wouldn't be alive if I didn't have those two key tools. Sure. Like, for me, fear is a superpower and I've got different ways to look at that and you know, whether you're, whether you're letting fear use you or you're using your fear, but I have a lot of it and that's why I'm still alive. It's mm-hmm. actually the, the best thing I have going for me. So with kids, um, as I mentioned, two things happened there. One is I was like, yeah, this is another weight on the definitely want to stay here on the planet side of things. Um, and then also how to teach them about risk. Right, like, because they're a lot like me. They see a dangerous thing and they're like, ah, let's go play with it. <laughs> so, how do I, how do I get them to develop that risk management software and, and get that going? Because you can't watch them all the time, and I want them to be able to mm-hmm. explore the world and get out there, um, and and have a go at it. You know, and nothing drives me crazier than when I come to a playground. My kids are pretty good at risk assessment. We have like a system. You know, this we have these three levels of hazard and. And uh, we've got a little system we've developed together. So, you know, the kids get to the playground and they're like, ha ha, attack. Whereas I see a lot of parents like, hey, you know, be, be, be careful and, and be safe. And they give them all this kind of fear loaded uh, warnings. And then the kids don't, mm-hmm. they don't want that. You see them, they're tentative out there and, and everything's a hazard. So mm-hmm. um, it's been great to learn about, about risk management with my kids. And, and yeah, definitely in my life, it's, it's a weight on the side of coming back. I always want to come back. Um, no, but also I'm not normal. Hey, eh? like, let's be honest about that. I am not normal. And so <laughs> it's, <laughs> I need to do this stuff. You know, when I don't go out and do my, do my high stimulus activities of one kind or another, my kids are like, dad, go outside. So <laughs> <laughs> You're getting grumpy. <laughs> I'm getting grumpy. Yeah. They, they, they recognize that. And, 
and I think that's a big part of life. You know, like what, what blows your hair yeah. back? What makes you tick? What makes you feel yeah. alive and, and figuring out how to get that. I'm, I'm curious, you know, cause I have uh, two daughters, uh, 10 and seven, and, uh, I've really enjoyed the, like be, the, the evolution that it is to be a dad and figure all these things out. And as they get older, the rules change every few months, that sort of thing. And definitely the risk assessment, they're obsessed with water. So, you know, you have a lot of time on swimming and diving and all that kind of stuff and, and a lot of practice. And I am curious though, for you, cause, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you when, uh, your eldest was born? I started late, took a lot of practice, um, but I was I was forty when when we had the first one and and forty three for the second. So I was just gonna say like I I found it to be suddenly you had this you know you have a kid and 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 you had to totally change the pace that your life operated at, and like up until then I could operate very selfishly I could do whatever I wanted if I wanted to dive on a Saturday and two dives in Vancouver take an entire day and then if I wanted to hike a Sunday. And, you know, I've got lots of friends who maybe aren't diving or hiking, which is my entire existence in Vancouver, but the, they, maybe they love to golf. And then all of a sudden it feels kind of selfish to go spend eight hours golfing on a weekend when you've got the family. Like, did you find that you had to recalibrate a lot of the, the like push to do the next thing, to be gone for an extra two days to get the last, this extra little bit of work in or time in or that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, we we don't we only have so much time in a day, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that was a major error. If this if this place were designed, I want like forty eight hour days next time. But anyhow, oh. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? But uh, anyhow, um, the yes, I mean, I just agree with everything you say. You have to think about it differently, and it's important. Like I had kids to do things and and be there with my kids. It's a journey that you do together, and and I I'm very invested in that journey with with the kids. And so I guess for me, though, I've never felt like I'm giving. How should I say this? I don't think we give things up to do other things. We do what is important to us, really. And so sure. some of my yeah. friends would say, oh, I can't go. I got to hang out with my kids. And, and I would never say that. I would say, you know, I'm going to hang out with my kids and love to do that with you later or at another point. But it's like they're they're a priority. Like what you're doing is. Oh, totally. What you want to do. And so for me, I'm not going to ever like, like, ah, you know, I'm, my kids are crimping my life. It's, it's, it's more, I've chosen this other, um, form of life that I, that I really love. You know, yesterday, my 16 year old daughter and I went to the climbing gym and it was awesome. You know, she, she, well, we both got a little bit surly about after about an hour and a half and needed a chocolate chip cookie to get back in the game. But just that time with her, (laughs) it was magic. You know, I really, really enjoyed it. And Um, the days that I get to go skiing with my, with my kids or, or do whatever, like those are some of my best days of the year. I, I guess I meant more, more within the context of like, for me, I just stopped diving for six or seven years. Not that big a deal. I just got back to it. My wife is certified. I'm back. Like they're old enough. Uh, my 10 year old would like to get certified this year. So if she can pass the course, she's welcome to, of course. Um, but I don't, I don't dive for a living. I could, I can make podcasts with like a kid on my lap. If I need to, you can't climb an ice wall with a kid on your back. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think when it, when it comes to your job is something that takes you out of the house, you probably have to travel a lot. If we, if you go back, I mean, as you get a little bit older, you probably have more control over that. But when you're starting, you're not saying no to a lot of stuff. If someone wants to fly you somewhere for something, you're, you, you jump on it, right? Uh, so I guess that was more my my mode, not so much like 
being at the hat's the best. Like it's great. It's 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 not, it's not a, a weird trade off. But you have to stop doing some things to do other great things. But I didn't know you know if it's if it was difficult to maintain a fairly legendary status in a couple sports while also going through the process of of caring for a family that you enjoy being with and all that kind of thing. Well, I think I think it is a balancing act, and you, it's not ever balanced. To be honest, I'm away too much, and then I'm I'm home and trying to make all the things work that I didn't that I didn't get done while sure. I was away. Obviously, but this is the modern dilemma. I think in some ways, though, and maybe it's more acceptable for men than it is for women. It, it's this is kind of what we do as men. We go off and we do things, and I don't want to get com- I'm too far above my pay grade here, but it's it's an historical thing that we've we've gone to see and done things like this. This is um, at least some percentage of men is that's what we do, and I wish I could be there all the time with my family, but. Uh, these are things that I also need to do to maintain my own sanity. And, you know, when the when the airline bags drop out with the pe- pressure drops in the plane, you put yours on first. And if you're not healthy as a human, then you're not going to be a good parent. Um, so yeah. I, I think it's, I think we have to do things that keep us lit up and engaged with the world so that we're there for our kids in the same way. And I also want to show my kids, it's like, you know, the, to, the, you can do different things in life. It, it, the career paths are often not linear. And that, you know, having mm-hmm. that passion, you know, the kids know that I, I love what I do. And I, and I hope that they can find the things in their lives that also allow them to wake up. Again, like that kid on Saturday morning, it'd be like, well, we're going to do the best thing today. Not every day. You know, I'm getting on a plane for the third time and speaking beat a carbon criminal and stuff and i'm you know I, i'm not psyched let's face it there's times when you just gotta grind but overall sure. having that joy like that you find in podcasts and diving that's it's critical yeah yeah and i think you know <clears throat> you've um you've had a remarkable and a remarkably long career doing all of these interesting things and and it's it's a bit of an inspiration to me because i'm close to your age now as well and i, I i'm just wondering um what's kind of do you have any like hacks or secrets to to longevity and and uh, you know are you have you changed a fitness regimen or a diet or, or have you kind of just stayed the course and just keep fit and and avoid the bad stuff and uh you know i mean you, you mentioned you're in your mid-50s and and i'm guessing climbing and ice climbing and things these are what most people would think of as like a young person sport um but you just keep at it and it's like i said it's a real inspiration for, for me as i approach the, the same age well, thank you, and I'm, I'm sure you're doing cool things that that you know you look like a fit, healthy guy at your age too. So we're doing something right. We need to do some show notes <laughs> on our like on our, yeah, yeah, yeah. On our routines and so on. You know, but it's I think just keeping moving for me is the biggest thing. You know, I I get off a flight, I'm bringing up flights a lot, but I get off a flight somewhere and I'm jet lagged and I'm surly, and you know, reset the watch and and go for a hike. You know, it's it's that's what I do over and over and over again is I've, I just try to move every day or maybe there's a hotel yeah, gym yeah. which you know often remind me of jail I don't know what it is with hotel <laughs> gyms but most of them you're this like you've, yeah you're, you've been there right you go down there and it's like this uh, box that was an old room or you know if you're occasionally yeah. if you're at like a nice hotel then you get a nice gym but it, usually it's even there it's kind of this depressed but you get you do your workout and you're like yeah I did something today I I, mm-hmm. I fought that inertia that I, I, I overcame that, like, you know, desire to just sleep more or sit around more and, and celebrate that. So I, I try to move every day and then I've got a pretty good mobility routine that I work on. And, um, 
I just yeah keep moving and, and train hard, eat decently. There, you know, the things that I've seen take people down and, and as they get older, it's it's kind of the same stuff. It's like they don't move, and alcohol becomes too much of a factor in their lives. You know, I certainly enjoy a, a good beer or something. I'm I'm not a teetotaler or anything like that, but it's a, it's in moderation. Mm-hmm. And then you know you have to eat reasonably healthy, and by reasonably, it's not a neurotic, perfect diet. It's just you know, you got choices on the menu in that, in that hotel and you could, you could affect what happens. And, you know, my, my grandfather died at 56, my age of heart disease. And here I am and I go in there and, and I'm, I'm still reasonably fit according to the the doctors anyhow. So, uh, (laughs) I still do one arm pull up. So I'm doing all right. But but yeah, make, you know, what you bring up is it, I'm really, I'm fascinated by this topic too, but I think we forget like we're really good at dealing with sharp risk. Like mm-hmm. things that come at us that are like, you know, you're diving and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I really didn't pay attention to my gauge and I got not a lot of air. This is a problem. Or a shark shows up. Like, yeah, that's got our attention. But it's the dull yeah. incremental risks, these things that add up. Mm-hmm. Like no one drink kills you. No one cigarette kills you. No one day with that just sitting on your ass kills you. But you yeah. add them up over time and they get you. And our, just, our minds are much better at dealing with those. those. I read an interesting book, and I'm forgetting the author's name because that's what I do. But the, one of the things about the book is that alcohol is often a social lubricant. And I think every study out there, you know, I, I don't know if you follow the Harvard one in terms of longevity and things like that. Um, but what are the factors that allow people to live a longer life? And one of them is the, is your social network and the quality of your life, your friends, your community how often you go out and do mm-hmm. things. And I suspect at some point they're going to discover that the people who went to the pub once a week and drank two pints of beer are, ha- are happier, healthier, well-adjusted humans than the, than the people who, who didn't. And I, and I, this guy's thesis was that without beer, this, this civilization wouldn't exist because people wouldn't get together. <laughs> uh, he might have been a bit pro-beer, but it was a great book. And, it sounds like a Canadian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably an Albertan. Um, you know, we're kind of... Yeah. Uh, anyhow, so I think all these things like, yes, scientifically the harm, this might be the harm. And it's true of extreme sports too. Like it's, Skiing, you go out there cross-country skiing, you could get gored by a wild pig. It could happen, um, you know, but the benefits of being out there and living your life in, in, a, in a positive way and, and celebrating doing something cool with your friends. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going with the theory that that is worth. That's that's more valuable. But yeah, you got to live for sure. I actually track this stuff. I got the spreadsheet and I track like, um, it's, it's, I'm completely ADD. So I need a spreadsheet. I couldn't, cause I can't remember it. Um, but the, I do track how much I drink and my exercise load and training load and things like that. And it's really basic. It's like just, just it, it's the fastest thing I do it in like 10 seconds or whatever every day, but it, it just allows me to track that. And if I do, if I don't exercise, I get surlier. You know, I, I have this like mental health note column and I'm like, am I a 10 today or a one? And it's like, I don't exercise, that number starts dropping. I drink too much, that ex- that number starts dropping. I'm not performing in areas of my life, that number starts dropping. So it, it all goes together. We've got about uh, 10 minutes left and I, I wanted to shift gears a bit and talk about um, your recent new relationship with with Citizen and Citizen kindly connected us with you for, for today's episode. Um, and I, it, it sounds to me like citizen had kind of approached you, um, based on some of your work, uh, around, uh, climate change and they have this save the beyond campaign and, and, and you've been doing work with something called a world without glaciers. And before we started, I was mentioning that we've had 
kind of a non-existent winter here in Minneapolis of all places. Um, and, and we're all Northern hemisphere folks here. I'm, I'm in Minneapolis. You guys are both in Canada. Um, over the time that you've been ice climbing, I'm guessing you've seen pretty remarkable changes in, in the places you go frequently in terms of differing ice conditions and kind of winters in general. Is that, would that be safe to say? Yeah, it's been a radical change. For example, the, the, what I would regard kind of as my home glacier, and I realize that's a weird sentence, but my home glacier that I've been visiting since I was a little kid, you know, I used to get out of the car and it was right there. And now it's 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 over a mile or, or a couple of kilometers back from that parking area. So you walk across this moonscape to get to the glacier. And people say often, you know, well, climate change is a, you know, it's a theory. And I'm like, well, my glacier's not here. Like imagine if you showed up to work in your office building in Minneapolis or New York or Vancouver and like half the building was gone, it would be kind of a wake up call. And so I've been doing a lot of work with taking people onto these glaciers and, and sharing that story. And that's what led to my involvement with, with Citizen as they were doing a really neat program called Save the Beyond. And um, I'm a bit leery of this stuff, honestly, because I, I get approached by this sort of, you know, we're going to do this. And I'm always a little bit like, well, I, a lot, there's a lot of it in the inbox. And um, so I, I researched citizen first. I was like, do I want to have anything to do with this? And, and the answer was, yeah, they, they shared my values and they're 1% for the planet. Um, and they just have a really nice, like, you know, be a responsible part of the world. And, and so I've said no to a lot of opportunities like that, but I was like, okay, these people share my values and they're being a responsible company. And that, uh, you know, that's what started it was going up on the Athabasca Glacier, my home glacier and, and working with them and, and shooting this. And, you know, they can spend their money a lot of ways, but they're putting 1% toward the planet. Yeah. It was just good people. So that's how that relationship started. And, uh, yeah. and then the product was good too. And I'm, I'm pretty picky about my products. So I was, yeah. I was yeah. like, Hey, this is actually really nice. Like I don't need to charge it. This is the, I yeah. hate this in watches. Like it's the bane yeah. of my existence. You've got to have the, I'm going to, I was going to swear. I stopped myself. You've got to have the, 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 the cable <laughs> that fits into yeah. the port to charge the thing. It, it, I hate this. And you know, with their, they had this cool eco drive. It's, it's, it's your watch is powered by light. I have, you know, I've been wearing this watch for going on a year now and I've never had to charge it. And I just love that. It's like, it works. You know, I, I think one other thing that, that I like about, um, citizen as well is that they make this whole ProMaster line of watches that they have is very oriented around outdoor adventure. And my kind of philosophy around watches, uh, as long as I've been into it is that, that one of their most important tasks is to inspire you to get out and do adventurous, cool stuff. And citizen makes enough watches for diving and, you know, mountaineering and, and various other sports that they get people out the door. You, me, James, everybody listening, um, to go to, to go do cool stuff outside. And I think by extension, they then witness what's happening on the planet and they start to care more about it. That That's kind of, I, I realize it might be a bit of a tenuous link, but I do like that about a watch brand that like makes watches that encourage people to get out and do really cool, interesting stuff. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that is cool. And it's, yeah. you know, the, the motto of the company is, is, you know, better starts now. And I, I like yeah. that idea of incremental improvement and, engagement. And I, I think you're exactly right. People aren't going to care about the natural world unless they go out there. They're not going to care about sharks unless they see them swimming and, and diving. Mm -hmm. and, 
you know, there's three right. versions of the of the ProMaster. There's the land, you know, land, sea, and, and air. And this is all of those things together are our ecosystem. So for me, that's that's really important to to get people out there and involved. And a lot of what I've been doing is taking scientists to places they would have a, a hard time accessing otherwise. So underneath glaciers in Greenland. Um, we're doing a project. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that was really cool. Um, helping people learn about the planet and, um, you know, just getting them places that would be physically like really challenging. And uh, so, yeah, I've loved, I've loved that part of it. And I'm, I'm working on other projects for the, the year, the, the year of the glacier, basically. Um, it is, yeah, it's just so much going on there. And, and again, citizens supported that and has for a long time. So I, I appreciate that. And your current go-to is the the new Altacron, the big uh, titanium. <laughs> yeah, you can't see it. I'm waving it around right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, audio only for this one. <laughs> I'll tap it or something, but it, but it's it's you know it's it's just been great. It's a uh, yeah, it's been it's got the three things I need, which are time, direction, and altitude. So that's that's what you need to navigate and and see the world. And again, it it just works, and I I love that that I I've I've had it. You know, the new one on my wrist for a month or two now, and it's I've never had to plug it in. It's always worked, and it's it's just great. And I can hit the button and see my altitude, and, and uh, I love that. And, you know, the, the watch world is really interesting to me. Again, I wish we had two hours because I would love to ask you more questions about this. But one of my favorite features about it is one that's not even listed on their, on their things. Like, I like waking up in the middle of the night, and I don't have to find my phone to look at the time. And I don't have yes. to press a button. Oh, I think that's our favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're 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 both wearing. You know, our our listeners won't be able to to uh, to see this, but I'm I'm holding up this uh, Aqualand dive watch, and it, it has a fully loomed dial, so it's like it it just glows like a torch in the middle of the night. It's we're, James and I always talk about feeling a, like a little kid, you know, when you like roll over oh, yeah. in the night and you look at your watch and you can like read the time. It's so cool. No, that is that is still really cool, and I just love that. And it doesn't intrude on my life. That's another thing I like about mm-hmm. it. it. It gives me what I need to know. And you know, yeah. if you drop me on a desert island, I'm sure ten years from now, I, my watch is still going to be working. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. curious about yeah. this watch world too, because it's it's for me they're tools. They're just straight up tools. And and this is mm-hmm. a, you know, ProMaster is a really effective tool. But I love that there's this culture. And I was going through some of your show notes and, and following up on things and and. Uh, I need to know more about this culture. So you guys need to come ice climbing and, and I'll, I'll grill you about the watch world and, and we'll do yeah. something cool with ProBasters. It'll be cool. Yeah, that sounds good. And uh, we'll, we'll have to chat with Citizen about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, for reference for everybody listening, it'll be in the show notes, but the, uh, the model that Will's talking about is the BN4065-07L. I don't have that memorized. It's the, the current <laughs> kind of top, top flight Altacron. Uh, currently on for about 800 bucks on, on Citizen's website. Uh, I have one of them here in the office. It's a really impressive thing. I have not uh, changed altitude in any way other than a plane to the extent where I could test uh, such a such a, a cool watch. But I, I think it's interesting because you mentioned that they're tools, and I think a lot of the functionality that's built into these watches is also has been co-opted by the smartwatch world. But in, in, in definitely if you're into expeditions or you spend a lot of time you know out in the field... Those things have to be charged all the time, especially if you're talking about one uh, something that's going to have an altimeter and a compass that you're using frequently. And with something like this, it's it's much more of a standalone product. You're not; it doesn't need your smartphone, it doesn't need your computer, it doesn't need the cloud 
or anything like that. It just kind of operates, you know, not unlike a dive computer would for diving. This kind of fits that bill for, you know, going up rather than down. Yeah, it's it, it just works. And and again, because it's the, the eco drive, it's powered by light, right? So it just it keeps recharging itself. It's, I, I've sort of taken it as a challenge. It's got this little dial that shows your power, your the level of uh, of power that you have in your watch. And I've always like, haha, I've had it underneath my sleeve for like four days now, you know, and, and uh, I'm wearing a suit jacket and I'm like, haha, my watch is now and then the thing thing's still always good. It's It's really impressive that way. I don't I need to know more yeah. about the technology because I, I want everything in my life to work like that. I want my computer to just turn on and work without having to like wrestle plugs and so on. But yeah, it's yeah, yeah it's a tool and that altitude function works really well. I'm I'm pretty sensitive about that, but it's quite accurate. And so I, I always enjoy whether I'm on a plate, I like hit the button and I'm like, ha ha, you know, <laughs> it's pretty accurate. It's like, like a party trick. Yeah. And you also do some guiding where something like this would also come in handy, uh, you know, just where, where you're probably managing more than just what's going on in your own mind, other people's minds, other people's needs, that sort of thing. And to have this as simply a tool for getting to a destination or getting to a certain altitude or something like that feels uh, also quite useful. It's critical. You know, if I'm whited out on a glacier and it looks like the inside of a ping pong ball, um, it's very nice to have a compass on your wrist and also be able to see the altitude at the same time. You're always juggling that with watches. And uh, yeah, it just works really well. Oftentimes you'll use altitude weirdly as a as a reference. So I know that I go up to you know 3,000 meters, 9,800 feet or whatever it is. And then I turn right and follow that line. And that's how I'm going to find the hut, the place we're going to camp for the night. And I, I, I just, I love having something that just works and that I don't need to worry about charging it or is it, you know, I'm going out in the field for 10 days, you know, how am I going to manage that? And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really liking that. It's, it's interesting because so much, so much of what we do is so digital and mm-hmm. using the Altacron, it's been this like really kind of, it's not a simple product. It's a very highly engineered product, but it does, what it does for me is very simple. And I really like that. Um, I'm mm-hmm. really happy. I don't know. It's been an interesting process and it's made me appreciate a different form of, of craftsmanship. And I think this is maybe reading your show notes, why people get interested in the watch world. It's like, how does it work? And you start, I started reading your show notes and I got, I went totally down the ADD rabbit hole for like, <laughs> next thing, you know, like, like processes and how things are made. But I, I, I love that. I love that there's so much going on in there and that, inside that little box but for us to use it is so simple and i think that's pretty cool and they last you know they're 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 tools that have built in longevity and you'll probably be wearing that one for for many years to come i mean although being a a citizen ambassador they'll probably keep giving you new stuff to wear but but it's you know it's stuff that like your your kids might be interested in in you know five ten years and and that sort of thing so that's that's the other thing i like about them they're 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 durable goods they are durable goods i i I like that i like that a lot too i'm gonna bang on the table with mine here and you know i know it's still gonna work (laughs) pretty sure you can drive nails actually don't do that it's a bad idea citizen is probably not impressed with my commentary (laughs) at this point but they are as you say durable so uh yeah 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 I'm, i'm curious while we have just a few more minutes here what um What's on the horizon for the, the connection with Citizen and the projects that, that you've got kind of on the calendar for the coming year? Anything that people could kind of follow along with or attach with? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things. I mean, my social media will have more on this shortly, and, and Citizen will probably put some things up as well. But I'm doing an interesting project with ash layers on the summit of a peak near my house and looking at how forest fire ash affects melt. Obviously, it does. 
So we've had a lot more forest fires here. And how has that, um, that ash spreads in the glacier makes things melt quicker, which is kind of a feedback loop because then mm. you end up with higher temperatures and less water. And, and uh, so working on that. And then also a project in Antarctica in 2025. And uh, we're going to try and oh, pull wow. Yeah, that, this is something like from the outside people are like, oh, you're succeeding at things. And, and internally, there's a lot of failure. And this is like failure year number eight on this project. We had the go ahead before COVID and then it fell apart. And um, now we're putting mm-hmm. it back together. So, you know, failure year number eight or something, but it looks like we'll get it done is going to Antarctica and trying to put a human scale on some of the climate change stories from Antarctica. So, you know, that's, those are the big ones right now. And yeah, I did a neat project um, recently with uh, looking at how earth formed. So we were, we were getting rock samples halfway off a, halfway up a cliff in Baffin Island for professor Lydia Hollis. who's a planetary uh, geologist. Like I didn't know there was such a thing as a planetary geologist, but she looks at how planets (laughs) form. So we're getting rock samples to figure out how much water was on Earth uh, as it kind of formed. And from a diving perspective, you'll be glad to know that billions of years ago, there was a lot more water than people thought there was. <laughs> so, um, but again, it's just exploring the world and, and uh, trying to figure out how things work and, and understanding it. It's just it's fascinating. And if people would like to follow along, what's the best, uh, what's the best plan the best ways to connect? Do you prefer social media? Is it the website? At Real Will Gad on Instagram is probably the most active. And this time of year, it's filled with more ice climbing than you'll than you'll ever need in your life. But uh, various <laughs> things will, will go up there and announcements about projects and things like that. And I'm also on Threads and X and most of the other platforms out there. That's part of my part of my world for sure. Yeah. And if people have questions, please reach out. I really do enjoy talking to people about about life and watches and whatever's happening so please do reach out and I'll, i will get back to you well that's great well we appreciate your time here and and i, I just got to say it's been such a thrill to uh to finally meet you and talk to you and yeah. uh you know been following you for years and and we're really pleased that uh you agreed to come on the show and join us well thank you and I, i'm really sincere about this i really enjoyed talking with you i'm interested in what you do and i would love to learn more about things so if you want to come out and go ice climbing for a day that's a that's a standing offer and uh i would love to oh, there, yeah. the diving's not great here but we do have a couple of interesting dives um I'm sure. Hook you guys up with that as well. And uh, yeah. There's no bad day in the water. No bad yeah. day in the water. Yeah. It's so just, yeah, really interesting talking to you guys and your show notes took me on a journey and I've subscribed and uh, look forward to, to hearing more of your episodes. You that. That's great. Well, look, maybe we can do uh, we can do a follow up on a future project, maybe the Antarctica trip uh, in person or maybe even on the side of uh, some sort of ice biovac uh, you know, scenario. We'll see. I'd love it. Let's let's do it. Yeah. Really enjoyed my time <laughs> with you both. Take care. All right. So as always, we've got nothing but thank yous for Will for coming on the show and for Citizen for making that happen. Uh, if you get a chance, uh, you know, to cross paths with Citizen, please say thank you for us. Uh, you know, we've been uh, very happy with that relationship and and to be connected with a guy like Will is, is a real treat. But be sure to follow along on his Instagram uh, and also his website. And we'll have uh, further news from some of those projects in the future. I would love to have Will back on. So you can find all of that in the show notes, of course, at thegraynado.com. Or if you're listening to this via the email, it's right in your inbox. So that's pretty easy. But a huge shout out to uh, Will for coming on the show and being so keen to uh, kind of talk about a a pretty wide range of topics and again to uh, citizen for making it all happen so look we're uh, we're pushing the time limit here which uh, I always enjoy but uh, do you want to dig into some final notes 
Yeah, sure. Um, mine is, uh, it's actually another podcast and it's a new one from a long time, uh, kind of hero of, of both of us, uh, Ben Saunders, the renowned polar explorer, um, who was a Bremont ambassador for, for many years. And I I'd been wondering what Ben was up to, uh, in the past couple of years. And, uh, lo and behold, he's just launched a new podcast and it's called new frontiers. And, uh, he's got some promising guests lined up. It, it looks like, and his first episode mm-hmm. Came out last week, and it's with Rain Wilson, who some might remember as uh, Dwight Schrute from The Office. Um, I recently saw him starring in uh, Lessons Lessons in Chemistry, the kind of the, the I believe it's on Apple TV. It's a series with uh, with with uh, Brie Larson and Rain Wilson is in oh, that okay. one as well, playing a very different sort of character. Um, he's but so anyway, talented. Yeah, he is. And, and he's, he, I guess he's quite a climate activist as well. And that's why Ben had him on his podcast. And uh, Ben is such a, a, a treat to listen to. He's got a great voice and, and he's an intelligent, uh, well-traveled, well-read, uh, interesting guy. And uh, I think he's, he's got uh, some good success lined up for him with this podcast. So if you're looking for another kind of new podcast from, from an interesting guy uh, on a variety of topics, check out uh, New Frontiers and we'll throw a link in the show notes for that. Absolutely. I am subscribing as we speak. That's very cool. And on, on the off chance that Ben is listening to this, uh, kudos on a new podcast. That's rad. Yeah. It's very, very rare. Uh, you know, we had it with the deep track just recently with Blake coming on and now with uh, Ben to get, actually start a podcast where it starts. Yeah, true. Uh, as much as I enjoy finding a podcast three, four years into the run and having a back catalog. It's kind of cool to start at the start, be part of the original kind of crew. Yeah. And um, and then if you get kind of deeper into the process, then you're you're on the inside jokes. And, and it, <laughs> right. it, it also helps with these kind of, you know, from the looks of this show, New Frontiers, uh, you know, it'll be largely interview based. Mm-hmm. And the earlier you start, the better you'll understand Ben and his perspective. So I think there's some value in and kicking those sorts of things off early. Yeah, for sure, which is cool. Yeah. Glad to see Ben working in the space. Love love to see uh more podcasts especially from from people that we know and and kind of have have appreciated for some time. So that's cool. Yeah. All right, what do you have? Yeah, so mine's a very different uh sort of pick than uh, a cool new podcast from Ben Saunders, but it's actually just a a little add-on pouch that I found on Amazon, uh, you know, in I spoke at the top of the show about wanting to kind of fine-tune that Dyneema bullet from GORUCK, the the backpack that you got me for travel. And I felt that there were kind of two things missing. One was kind of a fast access pocket. Oh, yeah. Uh, because it's a, it's sort of a slick version. It's not determined to slick, which is a specific thing in the GORUCK world. But it doesn't have the molly on the, on the lower side. And there's no molly on kind of the inside plate, which is, you know, my GR1 has both of those. And... So with this, I wanted some sort of a pouch. Like I, it didn't need to be especially large. I didn't even want something big enough for a uh, a passport. I always have like a pants pocket, which I'm comfortable with the passport because I can do like the padding my thighs, phone in one, passport in the other. We're good. Yeah. Uh, when when I'm not sure where things are, but I wanted something that could hold, you know, keys, um, AirPods, maybe a credit card, that sort of stuff. Like so, it's just right there. And I, I did some searching around, and thankfully the the sizing that was listed on Amazon was accurate. But I found this really good pouch, and it's twenty bucks right now. It comes in three different colors. My backpack is black, so I bought the black one, and it's this sort of um, shaped little zippered pouch with an internal like cinched pocket. So it kind of has two two stages to the pocket. Yeah. 
I find that when you want something like this, the Amazon world has either options from like Airsoft, mm-hmm. so it'll be military adjacent, but not not strictly military yeah. stuff. Or I think with this one, it looks like it's connected to maybe a medical use. Hmm. So maybe this would be part of a rigged sure. array that a, a paramedic or somebody might use. And I could see it being quite useful for that. It has a loop for an additional... Like, let's say you wanted to run a, uh, a carabiner or something off of the bottom. Yeah. And otherwise, it's designed to both loop around the strap. And I didn't find... I was worried that the the straps that hold it to the main strap of your backpack would be uncomfortable. T-shirt, jacket, all that stuff, not uncomfortable. Didn't even notice it, really. Mm-hmm. But you can open... Because of the shape of the zipper, you can open and close it with one hand. Oh, yeah. Super useful, uh, especially for AirPods. Uh, so for 20 bucks, I'm thrilled with it. That's my final note. Uh, you can catch it in the show notes. But if you've got a backpack, big, small, and just want, you know, it's not going to hold a water bottle. It's not that big. Like I said, it's not going to hold a, a passport. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, you could put a small wallet in it or it's, it's stuff like AirPods, keys, maybe a knife, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm very impressed with it. It doesn't seem to have a brand. <laughs> UBEF is the listed brand from amazon yeah but it's just called a backpack strap pouch clip on pouch mesh pocket double layers sturdy for cell phone or medical supplies (laughs) i'm not sure it's even big enough to hold my 12 pro max some cell phones yeah for sure yeah um but probably not a like a you you might want to find a larger size the fact is that if you can spend i spent like probably an hour and a half on amazon looking at various (laughs) things that were the result of backpack strap pouch yeah on Amazon, so it's all a question of how long you're willing to like click through, look at the dimensions. You know, at, at some point, I was considering like taking a piece of cardboard and like cutting out the same dimensions and seeing how it would actually. Sure. And then I was like, look, this will be here tomorrow. I could return it for free, so I just ordered it. <laughs> Super happy with it. It's got a Velcro on the front, so you can put a patch or a name tag or something like that on it. Um, uh, and and for me, it was a absolutely worth the twenty dollars i'm pretty happy with it and and it makes the bag even a step more useful to have a little pocket that you don't have to take the bag off to get to yeah that's uh, that's super cool and, and it's very timely because i've been kind of looking for a similar solution um as i've been ramping up some training for the fan dance and and doing a lot more with you know running and hiking around with uh, with a weighted backpack um mm-hmm. it's, it's always nice to have a place other than a like a thigh pocket or a jacket you know, pouch pocket or something for my phone or for, you know, an energy totally. bar or whatever else. So yeah, I'll have to check this out. Very cool. Yeah. And yeah. And then just, just to finish the loop, the, the other thing I added was essentially zipper locks. Mm. You know, it's, it's just, it's just one big pocket, essentially the, the bullet. Yeah. And I feel like, um, while I don't spend a lot of time in places where pickpocketing is prevalent, if you do the bag or if you just wanted a quick access, it's a very simple, you know, move to unzip this bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I bought uh, these, I can put them in the show notes, but they're essentially like little tiny double carabiners mm-hmm. and you clip them in. T- and then once it's on, it does take some specific focus and intent to unclip. Like you wouldn't be able to do it with one hand or, or like while I was walking, that sort of thing, or unless you're maybe like, you know, David Blaine or something. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a nice little thing where if I knew I was walking somewhere where I thought, oh, I'd rather be really sure of, it not being easy to get into this bag, you just quickly, I leave it clipped to one and can lash it to the other. And they're about maybe three quarters of an inch long. Huh. Very cool. All right. Good, uh, good, useful final note. And um, that, that'll do it. That uh, takes us to the end of this episode. Again, thanks to Citizen for connecting us with Will Gad and 
to Will Gad for joining us. That was a, that was a delightful episode. And I hope everybody enjoyed that. And as always, thanks so much for listening. If you want to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or consider supporting the show directly, and maybe even grab a new TGN signed NATO, please visit thegraynato.com. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the Free Music Archive. And we leave you with this quote, courtesy of Will Gad's email signature. It's from Marcus Aurelius, who said, It is not death that a man should fear, but never beginning to live. <laughs>